Well, I have a bit of an introduction before the introduction, and that is uh, the elders are dedicated to a, a faithful exposition of the text, walking through books uh, for the, the majority of your diet that comes out of this pulpit. There is a time and a place for topics to be addressed, and that may be, um, you may see that from time to time, but the, the regular diet is going to be the verse-by-verse exposition. Um, that is a, a blessing to the congregation and to ourselves and that we can avoid hobby horses or particular picadillos of whoever's preaching regularly. But it also has some challenges. Uh, I experienced a bit of the challenge this week in that uh, I followed um, R.C. Sproul's maxim to always deliver uh, the drama in the text, to find the drama and to deliver that in your sermon. And while I will admit there is some drama in this text, Uh, The majority of it is going to come in the next sermon. It really is a two-part sermon, but to do well with the text, it could not be included today. So um, this is the setup. There is is, uh, text worthy of preaching here, no doubt. Um, But uh, if I can uh, just lay the groundwork to, it's going to be two months before we take a look at this again. So if you uh, would like to keep notes because the next message is predicated on all that we are going to take a look at today. It is the backdrop that John puts um, prior to that. So with that, um, my sermon is entitled, Children, Fathers, and Young Men Do Not Love the World. So we're going to deal with children, fathers, and young men today, and then do not love the world in our next look at the text. Um, introduction, and throughout the history of the world, at least up into our, our modern, our postmodern insanity, uh, we could divide the world into two major groups, children and adults. Now, there are many subcategories there, uh, babies, toddlers, kids, young adults, middle-aged, seniors, all of these categories could fit uh, well under the umbrella of just the two phases, adult and child. Uh, We understand that certain behaviors exhibited by children may need to be disciplined and at the same time uh, are there to be expected. Certain behaviors uh, we expect to see in children. Those very same behaviors, if they are exhibited by adults, they can be appalling to us, right? Uh, Appalling by their very existence. In fact, every person in this room Uh, can either uh, remember or is going through the phase right now where you feel the pull, the desire to be seen as an adult. So you remember that when you were a young person, you couldn't wait to be an adult, little did you know, all it would entail, or you're experiencing now that desire to grow up. Uh, The call for children to enter adulthood at the appropriate time is clearly laid out in the scriptures and is a necessary framework as we look at today's text. However, John will be using the paradigm of growing up, not in a physical sense, uh, rather he'll be using it in a spiritual sense. Now, the two mirror each other often, not always. If you have come to Christ as a young person, then these phases, they will overlap with each other. But some people come to Christ later in life and are spiritual babes in Christ, even though they are older in years. But generally speaking, the two often will mirror each other. 
Six times in just three verses, John writes the words, quote, I write to you, or I have written to you. In these few verses, John is placing great emphasis on these words as a father in the faith himself, one who has grown through all the stages he is about to address and now is nearing the end of the process. Right? We believe John to be in his 90s at this point, the youngest of the disciples, the youngest of the apostles. He came of age being discipled at the foot of Jesus Christ himself. And now as a very elderly apostle, the last one, he is writing to his little children, to his dear ones. And in this text that we're going to take up today, he's writing about the different phases in the Christian life, calling them. Uh, John is about to make six statements addressing three phases of Christian sanctification. They could probably be parsed even further, but this is what he's addressing, three phases. Uh, remember, or I'm sorry, one category for children in the faith, children in the faith, and two for adults. So three categories, one for children, two for adults. And remember, John has put all of this under the umbrella and told us that he's writing to us Christians that our joy may be full. He's told us that's his motivation. Uh, he also says in other and other areas of this epistle that he's writing to us, that we would be holy, that we would not sin, and if we sin, we would remember that we have an advocate. His desire as a father in the faith is that our, we would have a proper understanding of what it is to be a Christian, to put the emphasis where it needs to be, and to remove it if we have it in the wrong area, right? Uh, one of the challenges of preaching through a book with, a lar with large gaps between sermons is that the preceding context can be lost sometimes. I started uh, in 1 John 1, 1 in, I believe it was February of last year. So um, that was some time ago. So as a reminder, I will say again that John is writing to us that our joy may be full. With that, if you would uh, stand with me for the reading of our text today. I'm going to be reading from 1 John chapter 2. Um, our text is going to be verses 12 through 14, but I'm going to read from verse 1 all the way up through 17. So hear the words of the living God. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And He Himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Now, by this we know that we know Him, if we keep His commandments. He who says, I know Him, and does not keep His commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in Him. But whoever keeps His word truly, the love of God is perfected in Him. By this we know that we are in Him. He who says He abides in Him ought Himself also to walk just as He walked. Brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in Him 
and in you, because the darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. And here we go for our text for the day. I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you, little children, because you've known the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It's not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Almighty God, would you see fit this day to speak, Father, from your word. Give us an understanding, Father. May we feel the call to all that you would have us to hear. May you be glorified, Father. May we understand what it is to be a young one, a little one, a young adult, a father in the faith, Lord. May we feel the call to maturity, Father. May we see the glory that is in every station you have ordained in our sanctification, Father. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. Again, the sermon has been entitled, Children, Fathers, and Young Men Do Not Love the World. I have three points. I'll give them as the sermon goes along. I won't give them all at the beginning here. Um, But the first one, the first point is children. This is the first group that that John addresses. And I can say from the get-go, this uh, is, uh, there is principles here. Uh, that carry out to all believers. So, um, if you are not uh, a man or a, a boy, there is much here for you. But this is the way that John is addressing uh, these little ones, these dear ones here. So, children, verses 12 and uh, 13c, that third thought there in verse 13. Uh, John directs his very first and his fourth statement to, quote, little children. This is to be understood as those who are little children in the faith. Little children in the faith. Turn with me, if you will, to 1 Peter chapter 1. And a comment on that. Again, I mentioned it in uh, the introduction that very often uh, those who God has had mercy on and has converted young in life uh, are young people as they are young believers. But uh, I know that there is the reality. Some of you here may be younger in the faith but not younger in years. So um, keep that in in the the forefront of your mind that these little ones or little children are little children in the faith. 1 Peter, um, I'm going to read chapter 1, uh, start at verse 22 into the beginning of chapter 2. 
And we'll see how Peter addresses these, these uh, little ones. Verse 22, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love, uh, love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. The point of the, the text today is not specifically loving one another, but you see that it comes up accompanying every time there's a call uh, to Christian living, that we love one another. Uh, verse 23, having been born again, so he's speaking to Christians, he's speaking to the converted, the elect, uh, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God which lives and abides forever, because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and it, its flowers fall away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now, this is the word which by the gospel which preached to you. Therefore, that's why we read the preceding text there. Therefore, Peter's about to make a statement based upon this reality of those who have had their souls regenerated by the, the incorruptible, everlasting word of God. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. John refers to them as little children. Uh, Peter refers to them as newborn babes in the faith. And he tells them, Peter tells these new uh, believers, these young ones in the faith, to put aside all manner of sins. He goes through this list here. Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, evil speaking. That's the Christian version of those, right? You're aware that there's, there's a, a worldly version and there's a Christian version of these sins. Uh, what is the difference? I'm so glad you asked. The difference is we are prone because we still uh, fight against the flesh. We are prone to justify these things and call them by other names. We call uh, deceit, right? Uh, lying, we, we call uh, uh, not being truthful by other names. We rationalize it. We justify it. We want the greater good, so maybe we'll highlight certain things and, and we won't talk about certain portions. We'll give half-truths because they are not technical lies. Peter tells us, Put away all deceit, hypocrisy, judging others by standards that we don't keep ourselves. Now, it is true that hypocrisy is as common as breath is, even in regenerate believers, because we all fail the standard that we hold ourselves to. But you see, the Christian there does what? When he sees, when the, when the Word of God illuminates your heart and you see, you know, I, I, I judge these people for these activities. Maybe I just do it in the, the privacy of my own heart and mind, and then I see myself exhibit them. How does the Christian, how should the Christian respond? With repentance, right? Not justification. Well, my motives were good. Right? That's, that's the Christian version of hypocrisy. I know my motives and they were pure and I just failed. No. Peter says, put that aside. Hypocrisy, envy not being satisfied with God's provision, 
being mad that somebody else isn't as good as you in your own eyes, yet they, they get things that you desire. Evil speaking. What is evil speaking? It is cancerous. It's malignant um, in your life, in the church life. We are called to judge, and there is no problem there whatsoever. But uh, there is a form of evil speaking, uh, a form of critiquing where you take some delight. You can't wait to, to talk about this. Um, Peter says, put all this aside, and he contrasts that with this category that John talks about, little children here. And he says, like uh, like newborn babes desire the pure milk of the Word. Right? He's playing on the, the reality of a baby, but he, he changes it. The pure milk of the Word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Is the Lord gracious? What does He mean when He says, if you've tasted that the Lord is gracious. Well, again, I'm glad you've asked. What he means is that that reality of God's grace is in the forefront of our minds. You see these, this, this list of, of sins that's, that's laid out there by Peter. We, we could go on, but what he's listed there, it's hard to practice those sort of things. It's hard to, to rationalize and justify those behaviors. When we have tasted that the Lord has dealt with us with such grace and patience. In other words, the more sinful you see yourselves in reality, right? I'm not talking about thinking less of yourself uh, than you do or making things up, but when you really get, I've heard it put like this, when you get downwind of yourself and you realize it's not a very uh, pleasant odor, right? Then the grace of a holy God that would forgive you you taste of it, the grace and the goodness of the Lord. And that's the motivation to put these things aside. We are to understand what Peter here calls babes and John calls little children as being the beginning phase of our Christian growth. And that phase has certain characteristics that will accompany it. A desire for the pure milk of the word we are blessed to be in a, in a family-integrated church. Uh, we think that was always the design for corporate worship, that mothers and fathers are, are training their children upright. And we hear our dear little ones here uh, during the service sometimes, uh, their mothers trying to console them. Um, and just a note on that, I, I promise you we went through it with, with five kids. Pastor Josh is going through it now. Uh, they are way louder to, to you, parents, than they are to us. I, I promise you that. But when you hear that child uh, squirming around, being fidgety, the baby, um, and beginning to, to make noises, their mothers are trying to console them. But when the baby's hungry, we, we understand that there is nothing that will satisfy them other than the pure, easily digestible, life-giving milk. These babes or little children are the first one addressed by John. Uh, the majority of uh, the sermon is based on this category, at least the, the lion's share, because every person in here, if you know Christ, 
has been in this phase or is in this phase. This phase. Then John goes on to tell us why he is writing to the little children. So he addresses them and he gives us his reasoning of why he is writing to them. Look at verse 12 and 13. See, John tells us plainly why he is writing to, quote, little children. He gives us two reasons. You see that there? Verse 12 and the, the end of verse 13. First reason, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake and because you have known the Father. He, he tells you, little children, this is why I'm writing you. Because your sins have been forgiven for God's name's sake and because you've known the Father. John is saying he is writing to the little children because they are Christians, right? But, but that's not the way he puts it. He comes at it from a theological perspective. It's like John is saying, Dear ones, do you remember the filth that you lived in? The things you did, the things you thought. Maybe some of the de these deeds to this day only God knows about, right? You've confessed them, but nobody else does. Do you remember the guilt and the shame, the embarrassment and the pain? Don't fool yourself. Neither fornicators nor those who idolize money or idolize comfort or security, nor pornographers, nor homosexuals, no, those who steal, even if it's only things online, nor those who covet because you aren't satisfied with God's provision, nor drunkards, nor those who spend their days in per being perpetually angry, nor extortioners, will inherit the kingdom of God. And then the scriptures go on to say, and such what? And such were some of you. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. That's what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 6. I uh, tried to illustrate it uh, currently there, but that's from, from Paul's writing. That's what John's talking about. When he, when he tells us here at the beginning of his motivation for writing to them. I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. So don't read across that and miss the magnitude of that statement. Your sins, manifold, Terrible, cosmic treason, shameful. They've been forgiven for the sake, for the name of God. And John tells us that's why he's writing to these little children. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 6 why this was done, but he doesn't give us God's motivation. John does. You look again at the verse at verse 12. God has forgiven us for his name's sake. Should bring comfort to us. Great comfort. Great solace in the reality that we are forgiven not because of our goodness, not because of our deeds, not because of anything we could offer the Lord, but for his name's sake. Uh, 
Though our sins be as scarlet, He has made them as white as snow by the redemption of Christ, uh, Christ's atonement. And He's done it for His namesake. Uh, our God holds His name above all other names. Do you remember when He was going to swear in His covenant with, with Abraham? Do you remember by what name He swore? He swore by His own name because there is nothing higher. There's nothing that would be above that, that he could guarantee by his own name, God swore an oath to Abraham, renewed it with Isaac and Jacob. And that is what John tells us. Uh, the, the, for, the, for the sake of God's name, he has forgiven your sins. So contrast that. That's where we should be. Contrasting the depth of our own iniquity in light of the holiness of God, remembering the forgiveness and then the security that accompanies that and knowing it's not contingent on us because God has sworn it by His own name that He would do these things. There's no other name by which God could make an oath but by His name, and He's forgiven us for His name's sake. John then goes on in verse 13 to tell us that he's writing to the, quote, little children because you've known the Father. This is a, a deep familial, uh, familial knowledge that has no uh, earthly counterpart. The closest that the Scriptures give us is the intimate knowledge that a husband and wife have with one another. John is saying that although these little ones have almost no depth, no experience, no uh, uh, theological training in the Christian faith yet, they have the primary prerequisites and the most important knowledge necessary. These little children possess a knowledge that the, the blind man had that Jesus healed and, uh, and the Pharisees did not. Do you remember that Pastor Steve preached on that? A few weeks ago, and then uh, a couple messages. They, they, they had, the Pharisees had the best theological training available. The best in the world at the time, right? And yet they could not recognize God incarnate as He stood before them. Yet a man that was blind could see. This is the knowledge that John's talking about these little ones possess. They have yet to be through the ringer of life and their growth and sanctification, yet they possess a knowledge of the Father because if they know Christ, they know the Son, they know the Father. Paul Washer gives a, a good example uh, that I have made my own. I don't know a role as blood type. She told me before, but I forgot. I don't know my bride's A1C. I don't know her cholesterol count. Sorry. Uh, I don't know if she's deficient in uh, vitamins or minerals, although I would doubt it because she's really good at taking them. Her doctor knows these things. Her doctor knows many things that I don't. Um, from, a, from a chart, technically, right? But he doesn't know her. 
My bride's doctor does not know her. He knows a lot about her, but he does not know her. It's not that he doesn't know her like I do, but that he doesn't really know her at all. He knows things about her, but I know my bride. I have a close, familiar knowledge of my wife that is more intimate than any other human relationship in the world. That is what John is saying here to these little ones. I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. I write to you because you have known the Father. And that's enough. Remember the account of the thief on the cross. I don't know if... Uh, I imagine some of you have seen the sermon, or at least the end of that sermon by uh, Alistair Begg. It's made the rounds. It's great. It's, it's, uh, it's humorous, and it, 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 it does a good job with the text. Uh, it's a hypothetical of the, the thief on the cross next to Christ when he walks into glory, and, and they ask him all these theological questions, what he believes in uh, credo uh, or pedo-baptism, all these things. He doesn't know any of it. He doesn't know anything, right? And they ask him, well, well, why are you here? And he says, well, the guy on the cross said I could come, right? That's all it takes. That, that is the, the knowledge that John is referring to here in these little ones, or babes as Peter calls them. They're, they're, you, you know a few things, but you, you really, you're so early in the process, you don't even know what you don't know at this part. But you know what you need to know. You know Christ, and therefore you know the Father. And you have it all at that point. And John addresses these little ones first. Second point, fathers. I've been accused of having um, CDO. It's a obsessive compulsive disorder. I put it in alphabetical order. I like it better like that. But as, <laughs> at, I, I had my points. Um, little children, uh, then young adults, and then fathers or young men. But that's not the way John laid it out. And I racked my brain over this. And um, I don't know why the Holy Spirit inspired him to lay it out like this, but this is how he laid it out. And so that's the way we're going to take it. But my little OCD brain did desire for it to be uh, from young people to old people. Uh, but I pointed out to say, this is the way the text is laid out. Let's look at it in that manner. Uh, verses 13a and 14a. Uh, I find it interesting how John addresses little children, fathers, and young men twice. Yet when it comes to fathers, John restates the same reason both times he addresses them. Right? Three categories. One little children, two adults, there's young men and fathers. He addresses each one of them twice. One, two, three, one, two, three. Yet when he gets to fathers, he repeats himself for little children and for fathers. There's, there's the same sort of information, but it's stated differently. And when the biblical authors repeat themselves, they do this for emphasis. At times, you'll see them make the same point twice in different ways. Or, as in the Proverbs, I see this a lot, uh, they'll give you a positive statement and say, do this, and then a negative statement and say, don't do that. It's the same point from two different angles. But John doesn't do that here. He repeats himself nearly word for word, only changing the word wrote to written, depending on your, 
your translation. It is changed in each one, but uh, past tense and, and current. I, I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. Uh, this is the totality of a statement to fathers, or those, uh, what the, the KJV calls uh, hoary heads, uh, the, the gray-headed, the, the, the mature. Those are uh, the mature in the faith. The little children have a knowledge of the Father. It's real. It's salvific. It is all that's necessary to be reconciled to God. Nevertheless, it is a childlike knowledge, but these fathers have a deep understanding. It's not simply intellectual. Right? There, there's no way to get there without the intellectual knowledge. But it, it, it's a... It's a maturity that only comes in living out these truths in reality. There's no fast track to it unless the Lord uh, providentially sees fit to raise somebody up. That's not normally how it works. We see through, through history, I think uh, Spurgeon was, was a, uh, a pastor at 19, faithful. Um, it happens, right? The Lord gives the increase, the parable of the, the soils, uh, 10, 30, and 100 something like that, um, the increase. Nevertheless, for the average believer out there, uh, the knowledge is going to eclipse the, the ability to live it out. And there is a process that these fathers have undergone, those who have walked with the Lord many, many years. And through that, through understanding their own frailty, their own limitations, they have a deep understanding of their Father, their Heavenly Father. So think of your own father. For those of you who have had the privilege, it's not everybody, of growing up in a house with your own father, your, your biological father, uh, even as a child, you knew your father in a way that others outside the family couldn't. Right? That closeness, that familiarity that exists only inside that family Dynamic, but as you become an adult, your relationship matures. You understand better now what makes your father tick, or if you will, uh, the analogy falls short, as all analogies do, but I trust you, you get my point that you, you have, uh, you knew your father as a child, and that's true, but as you've grown, you, you know him more deeply, you know him as a as a man, as, um, as a person, right? Um, that is the analogy to these, uh, these fathers in the faith. Again, it breaks down, but that's the principle that they have walked with God for a length of time, and they have uh, a robust, real understanding that the other two categories of believers have not yet to experience. These mature believers understand better the eternal nature of our God, right? So what John says, you've known Him who is from the beginning. What does he mean by that? The attributes of God, His character, His nature, understood, again, there's no fast track here, experientially. You know, we, we talk about that uh, being a negative thing because our, our, our culture abuses this idea that we can't know truth without experience. Well, that's, that's just silly, right? Truth is truth. 
But there is, there is a, a faithful obedience that, that the Scriptures refer to as believing. And that can only come through the experience of living out what you say you believe. Does that make sense? That there's a, there's a way to adopt facts into your mind, and you really do believe them. But when the, the trials of life come, you realize how much your flesh is influencing or even in control at times. But these fathers in the faith, they have, they have grown through this. And though they're not glorified, and no one will be this side of eternity, they have gotten good at some things. And one of the things that, that John lays out that they have gotten good at is knowing the character and nature of God. Right? They have known Him who was from the beginning. That is why John is writing to them. Next, he addresses young men. Point number three, young men. John had the least amount to say to the fathers. I guess you could say they already possess much learning. But these young men, we'd call them teenagers. Uh, he's written the most to them. It's not a word that we use often, or at least we try not to adopt uh, that word into our house because it comes with baggage, but there's a reality to that, that phase. Young adults is uh, how we normally refer to them, at least in our house. But these are young, uh, young men. Uh, men, but young men. Uh, anyone who has or is raising teenagers slash young adults can probably identify with why John is having to spell things out and repeat himself here. He is writing to them because they have what? Overcome the wicked one. And because they are strong and the word of God abides in them. That's what he tells us. That is why he is writing to them. And they have overcome the wicked one. John is writing to them because they are strong Proverbs 20, 29 tells us that the glory of young men is their strength. And the splendor of old men is their gray head. This is true both physically and spiritually. Although there is an aspect to spiritual strength that grows into maturity in uh, the father category, there is a young man's spiritual vitality that John speaks of, and, and that is why he is writing to them. Uh, there is, um, if you've known anybody that has shifted from uh, a more decisional, we, we call it Arminian, it's, it's, it's not fully Arminian, but the decisional regeneration, and they've come to a reform understanding uh, of the Scriptures, right? They've, they've not been converted in a, in a Reformed church, but they've come out of uh, the, the general um, ask Jesus into your heart paradigm. They refer to that as the cage stage, right? Have you heard that? Cage stage Calvinism. That is a person who is for the first time, they've, they've known the Lord, but they've tasted um, real theology, right? Biblical theology. And the Scriptures open up and begin to connect in ways they never saw. And if you've known anybody like that, or if you have been somebody like that and have already gotten forgiveness from the Lord, 
um, then you understand this, this strength that John is talking about here. It is, um, they, they are not babes in the faith, but they are young men. And there is a, a tenacity, there is a, uh, a strength there that is unique to this stage. They don't have the, the withered scars that the, the fathers do, but there is a real energy that accompanies this stage. John states twice that these young men have overcome the wicked one. We understand that it's Christ that has done this, but he's directing these two statements to the spiritual young men who likely have more zeal than maturity at this point. Picture a high school graduation. On graduation day, uh, walking across the stage, uh, a man at the top of his class grabbing his diploma uh, they've gotten into their first pick for a college and will be leaving in the fall. There's a certain energy, strength in realizing in that young man all that uh, they perceive to be at their fingertips. Right, you see that, that strength, that optimism, that energy. Spiritually speaking, this is the one who is no longer a babe in the faith. Right? Young, but not a babe. They've They've gotten to the first rung there, and there's some strength, and there, there's some energy there. They've learned some theology and are walking with the Lord. They see all their early victories that God has given them, and they feel strong. They have yet to see how deep their fallen nature is. They have yet to have been surprised at how quickly they can stumble in areas where they once felt strong. They are on the path to Christian fatherhood, but there are still some lessons in humility that they have yet to learn. Well, the conclusion. We see that John has addressed three different stages of Christian maturity. He has told them why he is writing to them, but we haven't looked at the actual message yet. But I mentioned about this being a, uh, it's really two parts, all right? There is the, the, the setup here that John has, and then the message that he will be giving to them in the next sermon. Picture this, a, a wise older man who, who gathers his sons and his grandsons and his great-grandchildren, he gathers them around, right? So uh, uh, picture this with me, if you will. He invites them into his house. He doesn't have the physical strength that he once had, but he more than makes up for it with the wisdom that he has acquired. And knowing that he is advanced in years, he, he wants to share his wisdom with those whom he cares for so much. And he gathers his sons, grandchildren, his great-grandchildren. He looks at the great-grandchildren and he says, I want you to remember your sins are forgiven you because you know the Father. He looks at his children who are entering the grandparent phase of their life and says, you walked with the Lord many years and you have a deep knowledge of Him. Then he looks to the grandchildren who are just now becoming parents themselves and he says, you are strong and have zeal 
You've awoken to the need to make war with your fleshly desires. And after he addresses all of them, he follows it with this message. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world, and the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. That is the passage we will take up next time. But remember how, uh, how John is addressing each category here. With that, I have some applications for you. Number one, remember. Remember. When you are discouraged, anxious, depressed, or frustrated, when you have given in to temptation, when your mind recounts the sins of your past that you've already repented for, Remember you know the Father. Remember that your sins have been forgiven for His name's sake. And remember that Christ paid for it all, past, present, and future. That is how John addresses the young ones. But we all would be wise to remember that reality. When you stumble, shame, frustration, disappointment in yourself, let the mercy, the love of God lead you back to repentance. Remember that sin has already been paid for. The Father stands willing to welcome you into a perfect relationship again when you have, when you have that sin in your life that is causing a, a difficulty with your relationship with your, with your Lord. It's already been paid for. Past, present, and future. Come, remember, the Lord promised to forgive your sins for His name's sake. Second application, fathers grow up. Throughout most of human history, maturity came almost automatically with age. Life was hard. If you made it to the stage where you were, were silver-haired, white-haired, that meant that you hadn't done anything dumb enough to take yourself out of the process this far. And you had a certain amount of life knowledge, right? Um, when you're, um, I'm sorry. The difficulty uh, lies here that in our, in our current uh, culture, our current uh, technology, current ability uh, to care for people, we will see a lot of people walking around who should be uh, fathers in the faith in church, but aren't, right? Uh, generally speaking, in the culture, we'll see many people that have all the signs that they should possess wisdom, yet they don't possess wisdom. And if you need an example of that, you need to look no farther than Washington, D.C. Both parties, right? We see a number of people with their heads that, if they're not dyeing their hair, would suggest that they've learned some things in this life, Right? And then we see what they do, and we realize that you can make it to quite an advanced stage in this life and really have no knowledge. So fathers in the faith, if you have 
walked with the Lord many years. If you consider yourself in that stage, you have walked with the Lord 20, 30 years, 40 years. Uh, although uh, John is not specifically calling you to, uh, to, to man up, if you will, the reality is there is the expectation that you are already there. It is a blessing to be a part of a local church that has a myriad of stages of sanctification, all uh, living life together. The, the strength that we're reminded of, if you were sleeping, that was the Lord telling you to wake up. The, that, that is, I'm not looking at anybody specifically. Uh, the, uh, that is, the, as we live life with one another at the different stages of sanctification, we can be encouraged by the young man's strength, right? We can be edified by the Father's wisdom. We can be reminded of the beauty of the, the young ones that just desire the pure milk of the Word. We remember where we were then, how sweet our salvation was, how uh, just life-altering it may have been when we came to faith where we were so sensitive to sin and so passionate to grow. If you consider yourself a father in the faith, uh, a mature, uh, sanctified Christian, there is the call to act like it. And then uh, point three, glory in your strength. Each of these phases are integral, as I, as I mentioned, to a local church body. However, there is an energy that accompanies those who are young, but no longer little children. Young, but no longer little children. You have moved off the milk and are now feasting on solid theological meat. Uh, there is much work to be done. I'm sure uh, Deacon Paul can agree with that. There is much work to be done here, whether it is serving the church directly with your hands, whether it is ministry, whether it is uh, the call to take the, the gospel out. There are a myriad of things, and although there is uh, the expectation that all of us are involved somehow, whether it be uh, on our knees and face lifting up those who are out doing that, or participating, there, there's a uniqueness to the stage of those who have, they're no longer little children. They, they have gotten some learning. They're not the fathers in the faith, but they are strong. And there's the call there to use that strength while you have it, because it won't abide forever. Lord willing, you will grow to be a father in the faith. And with that knowledge comes some loss of some of that of vitality, at least physically, right? So the call is there to glory in your strength. Bless the Lord. Bless your church with your ability to do things. Things that people in my phase and a little bit older are realizing we can't do as well anymore. Uh, glory in your strength.